You know, it's always been kind of a, a cool thing to me uh, that when Jesus resurrected, just like the story the video just told, he, um, he, you know, like he could go through walls. And, and, the, and this is really good news. You know, the Bible clearly teaches that we'll be like him. And, and some of you have lost your husband, you've lost your wife. Now, I know there's no marriage in heaven, but you'll know your former spouse. Just like the disciples knew Jesus, we will know our loved ones in heaven. And he had this incredible body that could even eat. You know, we Baptists really like that. You know, and, and, and yet, and yet, the scars remain. He, he said to Thomas, you know, put your fingerprint here. Put your hand here. Put, put your hand in my side. So you can see it's really, really me. And God, I think, leaves scars for a reason on our lives here too. But, but in the case of his son, he really had a reason for doing that. And you know, if, if it wasn't for what we're going to talk about today, it really wouldn't have mattered anyway. Um, we, we talk so much about the cross. And boy, is that important. Is that huge or what? And yet what we talk about today, this, this empty tomb, the concept, the, the belief, the doctrine, the, all that it is of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's just... Totally huge. But it wouldn't have mattered. Those scars wouldn't have mattered if he died and stayed dead. We know those scars remain today because he lives. Amen? He lives. Now, Judy and I, you don't know our history a lot. Of, well, some of you know our history. Some of you don't. But, but I started out in the Air Force a long time ago. And I spent three years in Germany with Judy. And uh, we had a lot of privileges there to see that part of the country. And one of the things we got to see was the National Cemetery in Luxembourg. Luxembourg is a very small country, right smack dab in the middle of, of Europe. And it's, the graves there are American soldiers who died, a lot of them, during the Battle of the Bulge. Can you get that, that picture up for me, please? Um, it's just, I mean, I've not seen Arlington. One day I hope to do that. But I just remember, here it is 40 years later, I'm just so awestruck by the number of the crosses and stars of David. And each one of those guys there and, and ladies died died for our country. They died, they sacrificed and died there that we might be free. And, and there's another picture, I think, one more, Nancy. Is there one more picture there? Yeah, I know that's a little bit smaller, you really can't see, but it shows the magnitude of the crosses. And here's what I want you to remember, that every person that was buried there in the sense of a body is still there. And that cemetery stands for sacrifice. But what we talk about today is totally different. And that is an empty tomb. The empty tomb is noted for the one who is not there. The one who is not there. And it's not about the sacrifice. It's about victory. It's about victory. The victory that Jesus Christ wrought over the grave. So today, it's not March or April, but we want to celebrate and go to this, this journey we're on, amazing destinations. We want to go. Not to an amazing cemetery in Luxembourg. Not to an amazing cemetery in Arlington. But to an amazing one grave tomb over the Middle East. And find out that it is empty. If you want to take your Bibles, please, and turn to Mark chapter 15. And then we're going to touch a little bit on 1 Corinthians 15 at the very end. Mark chapter 15. We're continuing right from last week. It was on a Friday that, that the cross was bloodied. 
with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ guarding God incarnate. We, we saw how that he bled and died on that cross. We, we saw how that he cried out, it is finished. We saw how that, that the sky had turned dark, that the veil was torn in two, opening the door. God hold out, held out the welcome sign to any person who would turn from their sin and believe that Jesus Christ was the Son of God and believe in the blood by faith of what he did. We saw all of that, and now it's all over. Most of the time, we, most people believe, most theologians believe, it's about sometime 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. And the Gospel of Mark records these words. And when evening had come, and to the Jews this would have been early evening, they would have called it, from 3 o'clock until 6 o'clock, and we're talking about the day before the Sabbath, as Mark makes it clear for us. And when evening had come, since it was the day of preparation, that is, the day before the Sabbath, something happens. A guy named Joseph of Arimathea. He, he goes, he's a respected member of the council, who was also himself looking for the kingdom of God, took courage and went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, this is a really incredible story. This Joseph of Arimathea, again, a respected member. Now, the council were the guys who killed Jesus. Well, they didn't kill him. They nailed him to a cross. It was this council. He was a member of that council. But he was a, and, and, and my, not my words, the Bible's words, he was a secret disciple of Jesus Christ for fear of the Jews. Which, by the way, caused me to pause. When we want to come down so hard on people who are wrestling with fear about being a Christian and sharing their faith, just remember this guy named Joseph who wrestled with it even then. And so, so he, he comes along, and he's this council member, and he's, he, believed, he believed in the kingdom of God, and he took courage. And you understand what that means? I mean, his reputation was on the line. His position on the council was lying. He was going to a Roman official, and he had no right to do this, much like Esther had no right to go see the king. So he's going to, to this Roman official and asking for the body of a dead Jew. That's just incredible. It just didn't happen. And I've, I've gotten away from you using sermon points, but, but this is a pretty good one. The first point was simply, thanks, Joe. Thanks, Joe. Why, Dwayne? Well, let me tell you why. Andy Stanley preached a message, I don't know, three or four years ago, and it really stuck with me. I never thought about this. Here's how it kind of went. After they took the, the body of the criminal and, and he had bled and died... There were really two options. Well, really, a phase one and a phase two. Sometimes, in rare instances, the, the family member would come and claim the body of the crucified one, uh, of the person, the criminal. But most of the time, the Romans allowed the body of the criminal to just hang on the cross for days. The corpse would begin to decompose, as you can well imagine. Um, vultures and animals would come and eat the flesh. And then after a while, they would take the body down, put it in a cart, and call it to Gehenna, the place of the dead, outside of Jerusalem, and simply dump the body there to continue rotting. And that would have been the fate of the body of Jesus Christ. If it wasn't for Joe and Nicodemus. Because they stepped up. Because they took courage. Joseph made sure that Jesus had a decent burial. 
Not because Jesus was planning on staying dead, but God is a God of details. You need to know that. Robin made a comment up here that some of you are going through things in your life. You've got to understand that you serve a God today who really cares about the minuscule details of your life. It doesn't have to be a Hiroshima that goes off in your life. Your God cares about your life. He's a God of the details. Face it, it'd been pretty hard to prove a resurrection. First off, what if Jesus had hung on the grave for four days? And it'd been so difficult to prove a resurrection had occurred if his was one of three or four or five bodies laying decomposing now in a garbage dump at the edge of town. Yeah. Hey, Joe, you should have come forth. Joe, you should have been a little more courageous while Jesus walked. Why'd you let that pressure from the Jewish council get to you anyway? But hey, Joe, thanks for making sure that Jesus had a tomb. Amen? God is a God of details. It really matters. And then I wrote down, I said, thanks, Pilate. Thanks, Pilate. Now, you say, wait, why are you thinking, thanking Pilate for? Well, we didn't see. Pilate was surprised to hear that he should have already died. I'm going, surprised? I'm surprised that Pilate was surprised. I mean, they took Jesus and they started slapping him around sometime Thursday night. They kept him up all night slapping him around. When the, when the false trial finally occurs... Sometime about 4 o'clock in the morning, 5 o'clock in the morning, they, they take Jesus and they take him outside and scourge him. And what would have really normally killed most men, he survived. And then he's forced to carry his cross up a hill, totally deprived of blood. And then taken and went through this process called the crucifixion. And Pilate's surprised? He was surprised that he was already dead. And summoning the, thank you, Pilate. And summoning the centurion. Remember the centurion from last week? The guy who was in charge of the crucifixion. He was in charge of a hundred soldiers. And it's his job to oversee the execution. Mr. Centurion was a professional. These guys were trained killers. They knew how to crucify a man, they knew how to kill a man. And yet at the end, is the centurion who, after seeing him breathe his last, who says, truly this man was the Son of God. And we don't know if that was a statement of faith or simply a statement of fact as he saw it. We don't know that. We're not going to argue that point. But it's amazing how he looked at Jesus and said, there's something bigger going on here than just the crucifixion of a criminal. So, so they called the guy in. Pilate calls the centurion, the expert in. Um, if you're, you know, it might, you sometimes call it expert witnesses. Well, what, what he did... Pilate calls in the expert witness. He needs to know that the dude is dead, that Jesus is dead. So he goes there and he says, he, he summons the centurion. He asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, yes, sir, uh, I'm a Roman professional. It's my job to make sure men die. And I'm here to testify that Jesus Christ was dead. So when he heard that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. This is so rich. Because you see, it wasn't long before rumors were floating around. He wasn't dead. He was just like in a comatose way. 
He wasn't dead. He was simply unconscious. If you need an excuse not to believe in the resurrection, I suppose that's one. It's a weak one. But what I found out about the world is that, like, you know, they, they, it takes more faith to believe that, that bang and there it was. But they'll choose to believe the bang and there it was. They really believe that God created it. You could try to say, well, there was no resurrection. You know, in the coolness of the cave, he, he came to, well, the expert witness. The guy who was there and oversaw the lashings, the guy who was there and oversaw the three nails driven in, the, the guy who oversaw the proof of the death by jabbing the spear into his side, the, the expert witness says he was dead. At that point, Pilate does something very unusual. He grants the request. Now, if you ever want to, if you ever want to argue the point of God's sovereignty, this is God's sovereignty. This is God's sovereignty. Because you see, Pilate, Jesus was condemned by Pilate for treason. He had said, I am a king. Well, actually, Jesus said to him, you said I'm a king. But in Pilate's eyes, he saw Jesus as a threat to Caesar. Treason. And that was one reason why he went to the cross. In the eyes of the Roman government. And yet he grants this request. Why did he grant that request? Some of y'all need to hear this. You want to know why? God said so. Come on now. God said so. And you know, again, guys, you've got some of you are here today, and you're in difficult circumstances. You feel like you're on your own cross. You feel like you're going through an own difficulty that you call crucifixion. And you need to understand that your God is sovereign. And that God is working out in your life. For his glory and for his kingdom, purposes in your life. Nowhere, nowhere. You think, you think when they were discussing this before the foundation of the world was laid, they were saying, now, now the Father said to Jesus, this is going to be an easy ride. No problem. Jesus fully understood as a human the physical pain. He understood the spiritual death that was involved. But still said yes. And we as believers, we as believers need to be willing to say, God, it hurts, it's painful, but as a Christ follower, I will trust your sovereignty. So Pilate grants the body to Joseph. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about this before or not. Have you ever thought about the fact that no one believed Jesus was coming back to life? You ever thought about that, Dana? No one believed. Now, he taught it. I've got it right here in, in Romans, or excuse me, in Mark chapter 8, verse 31. It says this. And he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. He spoke this word openly. So Jesus taught over and over again saying, okay, guys, here's how it's going down. I've got to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be killed by the religious authorities. They're going to bury me. But on the third day, I'm coming back to life. Either A, they didn't hear him, or B, they didn't believe him. 
Because I tell you this story over and over again because it's so important. You've got to understand the 12, the 11 disciples, we're going to throw Judas out. The 11 disciples really believed that they were going to be princes in this kingdom. They sold their boats. They sold their nets. They sold, some of you have done this. Some of you in your past, when you signed up with Jesus, you said, well, okay, I'm going to give it all up. And you had in your mind that somehow giving it all up means a better life. And your life hasn't been very much better. And you're just a little bit bitter toward God because this new life, this good life that you thought was going to be yours hasn't showed up yet. Well, the boys felt the same way. The, the apostles felt the same way. They were saying, now, wait, 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 wait. You know, we sold our boats. We sold our nets. We left our daddy. And we chose to follow you because you're going to be the king. And now you're not going to be the king. You're going to go die? What's up with that? What's up with that? No one believed. In fact, Peter got downright mad about it. In verse 32, it says, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter began to take him aside and rebuke him. I don't think that's a good idea. He rebukes Jesus. No way, Jesus. That's not the right plan, Jesus. You're supposed to be the king, Jesus. And I'm going to be a prince in your kingdom, Jesus. And I'm going to be rich. And I'm going to be a rock star. And everybody's going to worship you. But I'm going to be a rock star, Jesus. Because remember, Jesus, I gave everything up for you, Jesus. I chose to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus finally goes, shh. That's not in the Greek, but I, shh. He rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Now, Peter was acting like the devil. Not that we ever would. For you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And that was the problem. No one really could get in their head that Jesus was going to die. And because, again, they couldn't get past that, they couldn't get to the resurrection. All they could see was their life not turning out like they thought it would. And they never heard, I don't believe, and certainly never comprehended, I believe, on the third day I'm going to rise again. So Joseph, yeah, Joseph was a secret disciple. But he didn't expect Jesus to resurrect. And you might say, well, Dwayne, how do you know that? Because he takes Jesus to a tomb and wraps his body with 75 pounds of spices, their form of embalmment, which were the embalmment, but a, a way to keep the odor down. And they're expecting Jesus to get in three days. He could save a whole lot of money and save that 75 pounds of spices. Can I have an amen? Pilate didn't believe it. If Pilate thought that Jesus was going to get up, he would never give the body away. He said, because remember, he's a criminal in the eyes of Rome. If this, if this heretic, not this heretic, if this rebellious man, this zealot, shows up on the streets again, preaching again, and he's a king, things aren't going to go well for Pilate. So Pilate didn't believe it. The ladies didn't believe it. The ones we're fixing to talk about, the Marys. They show up at the tomb wondering who's going to roll the stone away. And they've got spices. No one believed that Jesus was going to get up. But he did. Come on now. But he did. Their unbelief didn't stop the power of God in resurrecting the Lord Jesus Christ. How cool is that? You made a comment, David, about sometimes he is faithful when we're not. And I'm glad that God's faithfulness is not confined to or held to how much I am faithful. I'm glad, I'm glad that, that God is not bound by my belief or unbelief. 
I find myself way too much like the guy who had a son who was demon-possessed. He's rolling around in the fire, and the disciples couldn't fix the problem. And so Jesus says to him, well, you know, I can, I can do this. I can help you if you believe. And the man said, I believe, but help my unbelief. I find myself like that. And they found themselves in this situation. They loved this man. What, what Joseph was fixing to do and what the women are fixing to do was an act of love. They loved Jesus. But they just didn't hear the important part. Oh, my goodness. Is it possible we do the same thing? Is it possible that we love Jesus, we're devoted followers of Jesus, but sometimes we miss the fact that we exist for him, not him for us? That he really doesn't expect us to take up our cross and follow him? That he does expect us to go to unnamed places and perhaps lay down our life for him? Do we miss it even though we love him? These guys did. So as I told you already, the Bible says in verse 46, And Joseph brought a linen shroud, and taking him down, wrapped him in the linen shroud, and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock. Now again, one of the Gospels refers to how many spices, and also Nicodemus was involved. And he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. And Mary and Magdalene and Mary, the mother of, of Joseph, saw where he was laid. It was game over. The end. Jesus is a memory. We loved him, but it's over. Was it over? Now, let me just tell you this. Thing. You know, you heard the saying, it ain't over till the fat lady sings. She ain't got a tune. This was not in doubt, folks. So here we go. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome. Now these are the three ladies that were mentioned by Mark earlier. Mary and Magdalene, remember her? Seven demons cast out. She loved this man in Jesus Christ because of what he had done for her. We have, we have Mary, the mother of James, and we really don't know that James. It's not James and John. Salome is the mother of James and John. And these three come early in the morning, and they brought spices. This is kind of like, you know, when you go to the funeral home, you get embalmed. Unless you're cremated. Okay? But then what do, what do people do? Randy does his work to preserve the body, and then we bring flowers. Amen? We bring flowers. This is their flowers. What they're bringing is not enough to prevent the body from stinking anymore, is simply an act of love. They're bringing their flowers to the tomb of Jesus as an act of love and devotion. Verse 2. And very early on the first day of the week, pause. Do you understand why we worship today? Why are we worshiping on Tuesday? Why not Thursday, Jess? We worship on this day because the early church understood better than we do the importance of the resurrection. We are not to celebrate the resurrection one time a year. We are to gather here together. We don't serve just a crucified... Come on now. We don't just serve a crucified Savior. We serve a Savior who laid his life down and took it up again. That's the cause for the celebration. It's not just the cross. It's the empty tomb. Why is that so important, Dwayne? Because a lot of men died on the cross. And a lot of men made some crazy claims. Max, but there's only been one. 
who made those claims and said, just to back it up, I'll lay my life down. On the third day, I'm coming back to life. You always go with the guy who got up from the dead. Muhammad can't boast that. Come on now. Muhammad can't boast that. Every other religious leader and founder is still dead. We've got the only one who got up. Yeah, come on now. You Baptists need clap on that one. You say, I don't clap in church. You clap then. It's incredible. That's the God in the flesh, the God incarnate that we serve. Say they're going to anoint him. And then as they're walking, now remember there's three ladies. The guys are still sleeping in. Okay? They stayed up and watched the World Series. They're still in bed. The ladies are the ones who come to the tomb. It's just now breaking daylight. And they have a question. They were saying to one another, who will roll, roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? Now remember, they didn't expect him to be resurrected. They're going to pay tribute. Put an extra spice on the body. Put their flowers on the body. Who's going to raise? Who's going to roll away the tomb? Now this is really cool. One, they didn't know how, but they assumed somehow it would. Can I say that again? They didn't know how, but they assumed it would. Now, they've got enough God in them to understand that there was an obstacle, but they believed somehow that obstacle was going to be removed. Folks, listen to me. We need to live our lives like that. I mean, my goodness alive. We, you know, we're walking along and we bump into a wall over here. And we think it's game over. Well, I hope that wasn't important. We think it's game over. How big is your God? Now listen. God, y'all don't like this when I say this. I know you don't. God is not in the business of granting your every whim and wish. I'm telling you, when God Almighty wants something done, Katie, bar the door, gates of hell bust open, because he'll get it done. He's a determined God to see his will worked out. They didn't know how. They knew this. Somehow, some way, it was going to happen. And if they thought they had to do it, they'd have brought along crew. They'd have woke up their husbands or, or got some men in the village and said, Would you go with us to the tomb so we can get this thing open? They knew somehow it was going to happen. Who is going to roll the stone away? And then the Bible says in verse 4, And looking up, they saw the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. Don't you love the details? Come on, don't you love the details? And you know, it's just like, by the way, you always think, well, why does this translation, or why, is that, why does this account in Luke say this and John says this? That's, listen. Do you understand that the four writers didn't have a writing party? They didn't all sit down at, at Brent's house one night and say, okay, we're going to write the Gospels. Now, we want to be sure to get every detail alike, so let's write together. That's not how it happened, nor would you want it to happen. Four individual writers, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote the Gospel as they saw it, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And different ones have different details. So weave them together, and you've got the whole picture. So, so, so here we have this large stone in the way. How are they going to do it? And the Bible says 
entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. All I can say is, hello. Now just, I did this to Judy this morning. Judy, imagine this. It's just now breaking daylight. They walk up to a tomb they thought would be sealed, and the grave is open. The, the rock is rolled back. They walk into this grave expecting to see a dead body and they see a living guy and it's not Jesus. Would you be just a little bit alarmed? You kind of want to say, okay, Mark, why did you include that? I mean, we would have freaked out. And I'm not sure that's, again, the Greek, but I think they were pretty freaked out. And the Bible says he said to them, don't be alarmed. Isn't that cool? Their worst need, they were afraid. It basically says, don't be afraid. We live in fear. We're a fearful society. And God's word, I can't tell you this again. He told Mary, don't be afraid. He told Joseph, don't be afraid. He told the shepherds, don't be afraid. He tells the guys at home, don't be afraid. He tells the church today, don't be afraid. God's in control. He's got it. But Dwayne, that might hurt. But he's got it. It may mean my death, but he's got it. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't, don't be alarmed. You're, you're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. I know, I know why you're here. You're seeking Jesus of Nazareth. And by the way, he was crucified. And they go, yeah, he was. You're right. Well, he has risen. He is not here. And all the Baptists said, amen. I told Judy... This story, you know, there are certain scriptures you can just elaborate for hours on. Not this one. It's simple. You're looking for Jesus. He was crucified. He's not here. And the reason he's not here is not because a grave robber came along. It's not because, you know, this happened. He's not here because he got up. He got up. Now, remember, he's talking to women who were expecting him to get up. We got the whole story. They didn't have that. But come and look where he's laying. Verse 7. Go and tell his disciples and Peter. Oh, don't you love that? Now, y'all know the story of Peter, right? I will never deny you. Oh, yes, you will, Peter. And the Bible says he denied him three times. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. If there ever was a man who felt like a failure, it was Peter. And isn't it cool that the angel from God, the angel says this, go tell his disciples, and especially that guy with a broken heart, Go tell his disciples, but be sure and tell the one who says, God can never use me again, that it's not game over. Come on, y'all. So, have y'all ever felt like that before? That you messed up so bad that God can never use you again? Have you ever messed up so badly that you thought that you were put on a shelf forever and God doesn't even love you, much less like you? Who do you think is feeding you those lies? Could it possibly be the father of lies? Could it possibly be the one what Jesus said when he speaks a lie, he speaks his own natural language? Could it be the devil feeding those lies? Let me give you a hint. It's not God. God said, you don't have to be afraid because I've given you power, love, and a sound mind. You don't have to think you're on the shelf because my grace is sufficient for you. Go tell his disciples and Peter. And he's going before you to Galilee. And that's so cool because that's exactly what he said in the upper room. After I resurrect, I'll see you in Galilee. And there you'll see him just as he told you. Verse 8. And they went out. 
That can, I can see, y'all, can y'all see this? They ran from the tomb. Would you, how, how many of y'all would run? Uh-huh. I mean, think about it now. Tomb, guy. Ah! He, they fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. They're wild out and crazy wild. They went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. That means one of two things. Either one of them, it's all right with me. What it means, they went straight to the disciples. Okay, they didn't, they didn't stop and tell anybody. They went straight on. The other says, they went back to the house for a while and said, we need to think this one over. Because, you know, ladies, get ready, you're going to like this. Those crazy men are going to think we're crazy. Can I have an amen, ladies? Come on now. I mean, you know, and guess what? That's exactly what happened. The ladies show up and go, Jesus is alive. He goes, you're nuts. <laughs> That's what the men said. You're nuts. Regardless, they left that tomb. And they knew that he lived. They knew he was alive. You know, I haven't done this in a while. I've done it on Wednesday night, but I haven't done it for you for a while. Now, when Jesus said, um, I'm going to Jerusalem, I'm going to die, and, and, and you know, the guys are going to kill me, and they're going to bury me on the third day, if they heard that, they, they knew what he said, but they didn't believe it. It was so far-fetched they couldn't believe it. It's like this chair. My mind says that this is a chair, and it's made to hold weight. I mean, that's what chairs do. But until I actually put my weight in the chair, I'm not exercising faith in the chair. This is belief in the chair. But faith in the chair is putting the weight in the chair. Before they went to the tomb, they may have had some belief that Jesus was still the Son of God. But they had faith when they left the tomb because he wasn't there. He had risen. Now, the ramifications of that are just huge. Do you understand because he lives, you're going to live? I get that same response at funerals. Let me, let me try that. Do you understand that one day your heart's going to quit beating? That's not big news, is it? I, like, I hate to spoil the Easter Bunny sometimes. You're going to die. But because of Jesus Christ, and if you are a Christ follower, you're, Roth, you're not going to stay dead, dude. You're not going to stay dead. And some of us, maybe, we won't see death. If Jesus Christ chooses to come back today, everyone who are Christ followers, we don't even see death. But if we see death, we get up first. We're going to live. And if we don't see death, we're still going to live. That's why I entitled the sermon Grave Robber. Because Jesus robbed the power of the grave. Jesus robbed the power of the grave. Hey, mama, who's lost your loved one, you will see that child again as they knew Christ. Hey, wife, who's lost your husband as that husband knew Jesus, you shall see that loved one again. Friend, whose world has fallen apart, your marriage has fallen apart, your world's fallen apart, you don't know what's going on. Hey, I got good news for you. There's something better coming after this life.
Amen. I tell you. See, do you see the power of what I'm trying to teach you today? It goes beyond showing up on Sunday at 10 and listening to a guy talk for 45 minutes. This stuff is true. This stuff is life-changing. This stuff is real. It's real. So Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, it's on your sermon sheet, Oh, death, where is your victory? See, see, the cemetery is about sacrifice in Luxembourg. But that empty tomb, it's about victory. Victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. We die because of sin. And the power of sin is the law. The law points out our sin. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now listen, you're not striving for a victory. Come on now. You're not working toward a victory. You are victorious in Jesus Christ. You are victorious in Jesus Christ. Not because you got the habits down. Not because you got the rules down. Not because you got the lifestyle down. You are victorious because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross and proved on an empty tomb. You are victorious. Amen. You are victorious. Therefore, verse 58, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. We can lay our lives down. We can sacrifice. We can give whatever, however you want to do it. As we show our love to Christ. And that's what it is. It'll be showing our love to Christ. Knowing that he has won the victory. Because of the cross. And because of an empty tomb. And brothers and sisters, that's amazing. That's amazing. Now if you're here today. Perhaps somebody promised to buy you lunch. That works, by the way, at least for me. I'll, I'll follow you to the moon if you promise to buy my lunch. If someone promised to buy your lunch, or perhaps you, you go, honey, let's go to church today. We haven't been in a while. Why are you here? You just heard the greatest story there is about a man who loved you enough to die on a Roman cross and then prove that he was the Son of God by getting up the third day. It is incredible. And God offers you forgiveness of sin as you're willing to turn from your sin and follow him and follow him and follow him. And I know that's probably like, well, what does that mean, Dwayne? That's why we got rent. And some deacon guys, some counselor guys. We got some ladies and some men who would love to talk with you about how you can have this assurance that the end doesn't have to be the end. That death is not death. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So what we would love, we're going to have time for decision. And I'll have the guys bow their heads for a little bit. And then we're going to sing. But, but for you to come down and take Brent by the hand and say, we would love to know more. I would love to know more about this man named Jesus Christ. Again, reminding you that we know more about Jesus than we do any Roman Caesar of that time. We know more about a carpenter from Nazareth than we do about the Roman Caesars of that day. This is the real deal. So we would love to invite you to that. And then, rest of us guys, us Jesus follower people, let's live like people who believe in the resurrection. Let's live like people who believe in the resurrection. That means change priorities. It means a different, a different message that we live. It just means us telling others, hey, I know a guy who died and got up. 
And because he got up, I can get up. Interested? We're going to tell that message this week, aren't we, Brent? We're going to tell this message in Judgment House. What Judgment House is about, there's, 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 there's two, there's really one kind of person, and that's the person with sins and unforgiven. There's two destinations, heaven or hell. And there's one choice, to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, turning from your sin and following him. That's it. It's real simple. It's real simple. What denomination? God doesn't care what denomination. He cares about what you do with Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads right there? Thanks so much for listening this morning patiently. I appreciate that. This morning, again, if you're here and you've never heard the story of Jesus like I told it today, if you've never understood the, the resurrection and all of that, boy, we'd love to tell you about it. I mean, history supports this. This is not something we dreamed up to feel good about ourselves. We would love to tell you about our friend Jesus. And brothers and sisters, maybe you've heard this story eight million times, but I pray today a fresh wind blew through your life as you heard it clearly. He is alive. Because he lives, I too shall live. Thanks, God, for this incredible privilege of sharing your word today. I pray for my friends who, who have never made this incredible, incredible decision to turn and to follow you. May today be that day for them. Father, for my brothers and sisters and myself, Father, may we fall passionately in love with you again. May we grow genuinely excited about the resurrection and all that it means to us. Have your way in this time of decision. And Jesus, I pray in your precious name. Amen.